It's time for Drive-By Theology with Dr. Steve Lawson and Todd Friel. What is the purpose of your existence? Answered in Lecture 10 of Drive-By Theology, studying theology proper, the attributes of God divided into two categories, the communicable attributes of God, the attributes that he shares with us, and the in communicable attributes of God, which is where we are camping right now. These are the attributes that God does not share with us. They are peculiar, not as in strange and weird, but they're exclusively his. Those are, he's eternal, he's immutable, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, omnipresent, he is spirit, he is invisible, and he don't need nobody for nothing. But there are two more incommunicable attributes that we want to study that actually help you know what the purpose of your existence is, what you're supposed to be doing, what the point of life is, all of that underneath two incommunicable attributes of God, the glory of God and the will of God. Steve, this is one of those times liberals just go, you know, theology, it's just not that important. You just got to <laughs> feel it. We got to worship and stuff. Look at what this answers. Understanding the glory of God actually puts my feet on a path, points me in the right direction, and puts wind in my sails to have me do what I'm here to actually do. Yes. I mean, this may be the most important of all the attributes of God, quite frankly. And who is to say which one towers over the others? But this is an indispensable part of our understanding who God is. First of all, there is ascribed glory, which is the glory we give to God, that he is worthy of our praise and that honor is due him. Second, there is the manifest glory of God, which is the revelation to us of who he is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. And then third, there is what we would call intrinsic glory. It is the sum and substance of all that God is intrinsically within himself. It is the sum of all of his attributes. So let me kind of rephrase that because this is so crucial that we give God glory by praising him, by speaking well of him. He receives the glory that is due to him. Yes. So this is kind of a multifaceted word. Yes, that's ascribed glory. All right. But the other part of God's glory is, could we also say that it is his radiance, just what comes off of God because of his character and his nature? Yes, that would be the outshining of the light of his glory. Is this a fair way to describe it? God's essence, even though we know that he's invisible, we've already learned that, but if you will, it's like a fire and smoke, that God's essence is the flame, but just what comes off of the flame is smoke. What comes off of God is his glory. Is that fair? Yes, that's what Moses said, show me your glory. And God caused the light of his glory to come passing by as he hid behind the rock. And then there is also his intrinsic glory, which is who God is. Now, here's what's important. We cannot give God intrinsic glory. We can only give to him ascribed glory. God is who God is. We cannot add to who God is. We cannot take away from who God is. And it is all of his divine perfections the sum total of all of that, the composite of all of that, constitutes the glory of God. It's a big word. And the application of all of this and why this directs us in the way that we should go, 
how we make decisions about life, who we marry, why we have children, what I'm supposed to do for an occupation is because we are supposed to do all for the glory of God. Suddenly I have direction. It becomes the number one interpretive key, really, on knowing God's will for your life in this sense what most glorifies God. Now, in the Bible, the path is made clear for so many situations. In other situations, we have to take principles and try to apply them. And as we apply principles, seek counsel from other people, what we're trying to ascertain is what will most glorify God. That becomes the path that I must pursue. I mean, this, but this is so rubber meets the road. I'm thinking about this house versus that house, mm-hmm. this school versus that university, this woman versus that woman. All of those things, if I'm thinking, okay, does this glorify God the most or does this glorify God the most, that directs my decision-making process. It brings direct influence to bear upon our heart and upon our soul as we are to be always prioritizing the glory of God. Now, we need to establish this from the Bible, because that's the position. That's even some of the implication of all of this. But we don't want to just be making stuff up. So to the Bible we go to discover God's glory found, for starters, in Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Everything was made for him. Everything was made to give glory to him, to bring the glory to him. Not to us, but to him. And every molecule in the universe obeys. There is no, who is it? That's, was it R.C. R.C. Sproul, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. Yeah. I've also heard, I think Paul Washer said, every being does exactly what it's told to do but one, man. Yeah. We, no, I won't do it. I won't obey. So we're the rebels of the universe, not doing what we're commanded to do and be obedient. Yes. Talk about cosmic Well, treason. we're robbing God of his glory in that sense. Luke 2, 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. I've seen videos on the internet where God's glory showed up at some revival meeting. And yeah. they, they took videos and thought it was really cool. <laughs> Gold dust, uh, little yeah, flakes right, exactly. coming out of people's hair. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. When they just get a little glimpse of God's glory, Yeah, everywhere in the Bible, scary. Yeah, people fall down. fall down. John collapsed as a dead man. That just means he went unconscious. Because of the glory of God. It's not something where we go, dude, get this on tape, man. Shoot yeah. this with your camera. It's scary. Yeah. To be in the glory of yeah, God. Yeah, in fact, Peter said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. God's glory is a descriptive term for what God is in his essential nature, as you discussed. The Bible verse that would support that, First Samuel fifteen twenty nine. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. First Samuel fifteen twenty nine. we see it in God's name for himself and the glory of Israel. Well, God's name is a representation of all that he is, and his name here is the glory of Israel. Exodus thirty-three eighteen through 19, Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. So this is not a tangential concept in the Bible. This is kind of the big kaboom. Yes, it is. And this should be our passion every time we open the Bible, every time we come to church, Every time we are in prayer, we are seeking God's glory, and God, make your glory known to me. Now, that has implications right there. 
a lot of times these days in church, the idea is we don't want that dead orthodoxy. We want to be relevant. We want people to understand that God is our daddy. And so worship is increasingly casual and what we would call low church. How does understanding the glory of God affect my church theology? It has large implications. If you truly believe in the glory of God, the greatness of God, the grandeur of God, then when you come to worship God, you are quorum Deo in the presence of this God, and you will sit up straight. You will pay attention. You will even present yourself as one having an audience with the king of heaven and earth. And that has profound effects upon how we show up. We're no longer casual or cool. We are now serious and sober-minded and struck with the awesomeness of God. I'm sorry, I got a little something stuck in my... That's what people would say to you. Because I heard what you just threw in there kind of subtly under the radar. How we present ourselves, the implication there was clothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do believe that if you had an audience with the Queen of England, you're probably not going to show up in your pajamas like some people show up for some church service. Yeah, but the Queen isn't my daddy, so there. Yeah, well, I want to tell you God is far more than Abba Father. That is one aspect, but he is far more. He is the sovereign, supreme Lord of heaven and earth, and the honor that is due him must be given to him. And as we come into his presence with the gathered church on the Lord's day, um, I think we should present ourselves that this is very important. And it's being done for the people in the pews. No, it is being done for God. We're here to worship God. There will be a residual effect, a horizontal effect, but first and foremost, it's vertical. We are here for God, and we are to worship him in a manner that is pleasing to him. It's imperative with all of those implications that we establish biblically that that is the case. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Isaiah 6.3, and one called out to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Romans 3.23 describes our problem, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 1.6, Ephesians 1.12, Ephesians 1.14, all scream that this is to be done for the glory of God. Yes, everything is for the glory of God. So the implications for this are my decision-making process for life issues, how I do church, how I raise my children, how I pick a spouse. That should be the number one priority. Am I choosing a spouse that desires foremost to glorify God. If not, get back on (laughs) eHarmony.com. Well, that's absolutely correct. And also, this should be the supreme motive, the supreme ambition, the supreme passion within our soul that God would be glorified through my life. And the comfort from that is when things get wacky, when things get difficult, knowing that God is seeking his glory, I must actually be here to glorify him I think I just heard somebody preaching about this, that Paul, even in prison, recognized this is for the glory of God. This is so that his name can be made famous. Absolutely. Every situation is for the glory of God. So it helps me to accept what is a difficult situation because I know my loving father, the great physician, never gives me a cup of poison. He always does what is right for his glory and 
my good. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that because when we seek God's glory, it brings the greatest good to my own life. So these two are not in competition with each other. The more I seek the glory of God, there will actually be the greater enjoyment of God in my own heart and soul, the greatest pleasure that I will derive from God, no matter what my circumstances are. The other attribute that can help us know how to live, how to accept circumstances which aren't nilly-willy, is understanding the last incommunicable attribute of God, and that is the will of God. What is that? Well, the will of God refers to his indestructible and sovereign choice for his own glory whatsoever shall come to pass. That is his sovereign will. And God's will refers also to what he commands and desires and wishes, and that is his revealed will. So the Bible is his revealed will so that I can know him and what I'm supposed to do. Yes. But God is also willing everything in the universe? That's what Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, that he works all things after the counsel of his will. When you say all things, do you mean all things? Yes, I do mean all things. And though God is not the author of sin, God is the author of a plan that includes sin. And God is even using sin and Satan and the demons for his own glory. So God doesn't cause sin, but he permits it and uses sin sinlessly for our good, for his glory. Absolutely. And look at the cross. That is the greatest evil that was ever perpetrated in the universe. And yet the cross was the foreordained plan of God. That was an act of murder. That was an act of evil aggression that was conspired by Satan and carried out in that dark hour. Nevertheless, it was the sovereign will of God. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, Peter makes that very clear, calling it the prearranged plan of God. Both Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 describe that the entire reason for the existence of the universe was to send a Savior as part of his prearranged plan so that he could be glorified and receive the glory for his other attributes like mercy, grace, and loving kindness. Absolutely. We see God's glory revealed in creation by creating the place. That makes him look pretty good. (laughs) As we discussed in redemption, even in government, God is showing his glory. And a trickier one, suffering. God is getting glory and it is good if we suffer. Yes, it is, because suffering glorifies God in this sense. It weans us off the world. It sanctifies us. It humbles us. It helps us identify with a suffering Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It advances the gospel. There are many different levels at which God is glorified in his sovereign will that we suffer while here upon the earth. Now, we don't have a martyr's complex. We're not going around looking for more suffering, but it will come to us in this world, and God will be glorified. In fact, to the degree that we suffer for God in this world, to that same degree, we will rejoice in the second coming of Christ, which will release us from this world of suffering, and to that same degree, we will be rewarded in heaven for our suffering here for his namesake. And there are plenty of Bible verses that support that. First Peter three seventeen. it is better if God should will it so that you suffer. Wow, it couldn't be more clear than that. Yeah. First Peter four nineteen. therefore, those also who suffer 
according to the will of God. Now, I know that's hard up front. Yeah. Because suffering is not fun. Yeah. But it yields a crop. It does good things for us. And God is more interested in our holiness than he is in our happiness. And so as a loving father who disciplines his child, Hebrews chapter 12, God will do that for, not to us, for us. Yes. What a great comfort that God's will is perfect for our lives, that his purposes are holy, that God can never misuse his power, that his will and plan for our lives is perfect. We could never improve upon it if we had a million years to try to upgrade it. Now, his plan for our lives, there are a lot of people who petition God to reveal his plan for their lives. Does God reveal every aspect of his will? No, no. That's part of the walk of faith. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord. The things revealed belong to us. So he doesn't tell us everything. No, he doesn't. And frankly, that's probably a good thing. It is a good thing. (laughs) And I think even if he did... It would be like trying to pour the Atlantic Ocean into a Dixie cup. It's just not all going to fit into our head. It would just, I think, it would horrify us. It would. How would you like to know what day you're going to die? Yeah, no, it's a mercy of God that we don't know everything. James 4.15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live also and will do this or that. 1 Corinthians 4.19, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. So we can plan stuff, but the Lord is directing everything. Yeah, Proverbs 16, 1 says, man plans his way, but God directs his steps. There's this overruling purpose and will of God. And that's comforting, as we saw in the life of Joseph, gets thrown into the well, gets taken off to prison. And what does he say? Genesis 50, 20 to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So God doesn't redeem it. He meant it for good. Yes. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, that thrills my heart. Because if God didn't orchestrate that, the children of Israel wouldn't have flourished in Egypt, been taken out of Egypt and delivered. We wouldn't have had a picture of the gospel. We wouldn't have had a picture of Jesus. All of that was meant because of God's will. Yes. Matthew eleven twenty five. at the time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Does everybody get to understand God's will? No, no. It's those who are chosen to enter into relationship with him. He then makes known his purposes in their life, certainly in a limited way, but they do have some insight. Romans nine eighteen. so then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. God willing everything. There is one last aspect of the will of God, and that is the indestructible will of God. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. God's will is irresistible in this sense. It is a conquering will. Proverbs 21 verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And in most places, the king's heart was an unconverted heart, yet God held it in the palm of his hand, as it were, and turned it in the direction to carry out his own purposes. So we could say that God's will isn't contingent. In other words, if this works out, and if that check arrives in the mail, then he's able to do this. No, no, no. He does whatever he wants, contingent on nothing. Absolutely. It's indestructible, which again is a humongous comfort for the Christian, because God has promised this. I have purchased you. 
I will keep you and I will glorify you. You can count on it because it is his indestructible will. This was Lecture 10 of Drive-By Theology.